Well, good morning. Good to see you all here in good numbers. And uh, many of you plowed through the snow last week. And uh, good to see everybody back today. Great, great crowd today. Good numbers. I've had a uh, busy weekend. And yesterday I had a wedding. And uh, had a wedding I performed. And uh, today I'll have a, a funeral. And so... Uh, have the funeral for Billy Louder today. And so, been a, a busy time. I know many of you are celebrating birthdays and anniversaries, and uh, I have an anniversary today. I've been married 35 years and, uh, today. I know you're applauding for Pam, I know that. <laughs> There, there are stars in her crown, I guarantee you that. You know, it's um, tough and hard uh, being in the ministry, but no one knows what it's like to be a minister's wife unless you are one. And uh, Becky's down here agreeing with me, but uh, it is a tough, demanding role to be a spouse of someone in the ministry. Uh, someone asked me, said, uh, what are you doing for your anniversary? And I said, well, I'm performing a wedding on Saturday and preaching a funeral on Sunday. That's what we're doing. And, uh, but uh, also watching a little basketball. So listen, we're, we're going to have a good day. If you got your Bible there, Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. Today we look at the subject, Under Attack. Under attack. Have you ever been in a situation where you said something or you did something and you were misunderstood? Oh, it happens all the time. You try to say something kind and people take it the wrong way. You try to say something complimentary and they take it the wrong way. I was standing in front of the mirror today and I was admiring what I was seeing. And so I was... <laughs> you, you, you heard about the girl that you know, got up every morning and saying how great thou art when she looked in the mirror. But anyway, I, I was standing there and, and uh, thought I was put together pretty well. And my wife comes in and she says, are you going to wear that tie with that shirt? I said, yes ma'am, I am. She said, there's too much going on. It's too busy. Worlds are colliding there. <laughs> 8 o'clock this morning, I walked into staff meeting. Dr. Wendell Eastep looked at me and went, you're on the platform today. You look so good. Ah, oh, boy, I tell you, sometimes you're just misunderstood. My, um, my words at times, I want them to be as sweet as honey, but they're like drawn daggers. I remember years ago, the Phil Donahue show. Do you all remember that? Phil Donahue. Oh, Phil would have different people on his show, and one time 
He had Billy Graham on there. Boy, Billy Graham tore him up. Boy, I tell you. Gave him all he wanted. But there was another guy named George Will. George Will, a conservative commentator. I love reading George Will. But he was on the show. And uh, Phil Donahue started going down the path saying, well, George, you said this, and George, you wrote this, and George... George Will put up his hand and said, listen. George Will said, I'm the expert on what I said. I love it. I'm the expert on what I said. In other words, George Will was saying, I know what I meant as well as what I said. So, when you look at the earthly ministry of Jesus, you find that there was great controversy over not only what Jesus said, but what He meant when He said it. Now, in Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 30, you find Jesus under attack. One person said, the things He did and said in love were used to attack Him in hate. The Lord's ultimate expression of love was the cross. The Pharisees' ultimate expression of hate was the cross. Now think about that. An expression of love that Jesus gave in dying on the cross for the world is what the world did in hate to get rid of His message. But boy, you all know it's more alive today than ever. And that the Lord's message today resounds around the world through the preaching of the Gospel. Now I want you to look at Mark chapter 3, and I want to begin reading here in verse number 10, or rather verse number 20, Mark chapter 3 verse 20. And uh, let me just go ahead and read through verse 30. Beginning in verse 20, And He came home, and the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. When His own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of Him, for they were saying, He has lost His senses. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by... Beelzebub, and he casts out the demons by the ruler of the demons. And he called them to himself and began speaking to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished. But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men. And whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. 
because they were saying, He has an unclean spirit. When you look at that passage, you find that the attacks on Jesus came from two different sources. Jesus ends up this time, this dialogue, by talking about something that you and I cannot imagine. He speaks about a sin that can never find forgiveness. A sin that Jesus calls an eternal sin. Now think about that phrase, an eternal sin. It is a sin once committed will be committed every single day for all eternity. It is a sin upon sin upon sin upon sin going down through eternity. If you ever wrote a sentence and you put the three dots there, meaning it goes on and on and on, that's what he's talking about. And so as we look at this passage, we're going to find that that the hatred of the scribes and the Pharisees builds to a point of this eternal sin. And we'll get to that in a moment. I want you to look at John chapter 15, verse 18. John 15, verse 18. John's Gospel, chapter 15, verse 18, says this, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And so Jesus tells His followers, if you're going to follow me, somebody's going to hate you. If you're going to follow me, someone is not going to like you. They're not going to like your message. They're not going to like your stand. They are not going to like the things of Jesus Christ. They're not. 1 John, the epistle, chapter 3, verse 13, says, Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. I've always found it interesting how that some people are shocked when there's hatred at the gospel. No one likes to hear the message, lay down your life, pick up your cross, and come and follow me. They didn't like it when Jesus said it in the first century. So, look at the attack. The attacks Jesus faced came from two sources. Alright, number one. His friends attacked His sanity. His friends attacked His sanity. Now, you find this very clear in verse 21. The last part of verse 21, His friends said... He's lost his mind. That's what they were saying about him. Now, the reasons for this are many, but in verse number 20, Jesus comes home. I mean, he's home there with his family and friends. There are so many people that that are pressing in on Jesus that his family can't get to him. And so they're observing observing Jesus and they're saying there's something wrong with Him. He's lost His mind. Now, in verse 21, why would they say He's crazy? Let me give you four reasons. One, He claimed to be God. Mark chapter 2, verse 5. 
Secondly, he refuses to rest. He's going all the time. ADD. That's kind of like me. I mean, I'm in hyper mode most of the time. That's the way Jesus was. He refuses to work as a carpenter. He uh, puzzled the intellectual and learned people of the day. In fact, in verse number 22, it says that he is possessed by Beelzebub, the prince of the demons. So, the rulers, the scribes and the Pharisees, it's not them that are attacking right here. It's his friends and his family. Now listen to this. If you follow Jesus Christ, if you give your life to Him, not everyone in your family is going to celebrate. How many women do you know that come to church by themselves because they got a lost husband that will not come to church with them? How many families do you know that are divided over the Gospel? How many children do you know where one child is a prodigal and one child is not? Raised the same way, taught Sunday school in the same class, it seems like they were brought up identical, but one goes the prodigal way and one goes the way of faith. I um, heard one time a father talking about his children. And he said, uh, oh, I got one kid, said he's kind of wild. He said, uh, he's just sown his oats. Sown his wild oats. And I thought to myself, yeah, he may be sown some wild oats, but one day there's going to be a harvest. I always think it's amazing when you got Sometimes one child that goes off into rebellion and a, a lost parent will say, well, they're just sowing their wild oats. But then sometimes you'll have a parent talking about a child that has given their life to Christ. And, and that child carries a Bible. And that child wears a cross around their neck. And sometimes that same parent will say about that child, well, they're on a religious fling. Or they're a religious nut. Folks, I may be a religious nut, but man, I'm screwed on the right bolt. Isn't that right? <laughs> man, that's right. Paul, oh, listen to me. When you and I, when you and I give our life to Christ, there are going to be those in our family, those in our circle of friends, they're not going to understand, and they're going to call us crazy. What's that old? Was it Patsy Klein sang that song? Crazy, alright, they're going to they're gonna be singing that song to us. Dwight L. Moody was called Crazy Moody about his faith. Now, verse number 21, you find that what they wanted to do, they wanted to take custody of him. Now, what do you do when you take custody of someone? Well, you hide them. You put them in a straitjacket. You lock them up in the back room. And constantly they tried to do that to Jesus and His message. They tried to strangle it. They tried to lock it up. They tried to hide it in the back room. But you can't hide love. You can't hide the message of the Gospel. So, when you and I are called goofy for God, 
When you and I are called loony for Jesus, that's a badge of honor. That's a compliment because they said the same thing about Jesus. Alright, number two. There were also His foes attacked His spirituality. Not only His friends, but His foes. Now think about Jesus. Man, He's got coming from all sides. I mean, here, here are His family attacking Him and friends, and here are the foes that are attacking Him. And so, we find in verses 22 through 30, the attack of, of these foes, these scribes and Pharisees. Now, look at the attack. Verse 22. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub, and he casts out the demons by the ruler of the demons. So the attack was this. They, they looked at Jesus and they said, Hey, you're demon-possessed. And they said, not only that, but Jesus of Nazareth, you are filled with Beelzebub, the prince of the demons. That's one thing called someone demon-possessed. They went beyond that. They said, man, the prince is in your life. Now, Beelzebub, that name means Lord of the Flies or the Lord of Filth. I mean, it's, it's hard for me to describe how demeaning, how ungodly that was. They look at the pure Son of God and they said, you're full of filth. That's why you've got verse number 29 and 30. Because you cannot stand before the Son of God and declare Him full of evil and filth and sin and not commit the unpardonable sin. We're going to talk about that a little bit more, but we do find this attack was a very, very demeaning attack. Now look at the answer, though, that Jesus gives. Verses 23 through 7, Jesus calls his attackers to him and destroys their argument by giving two illustrations. All right, now stay with me on this. All right, number one, first illustration the kingdom divided. Verses 23 through 26. Here's the argument. In 23 through 26, Jesus says, How can a kingdom stand if it's divided? And how can Satan fight against Satan? And in this argument, Jesus says, That kingdom cannot stand if it's warring inside itself. And he says, quite obviously, the kingdom of Satan is alive and well. Second argument, verse 27. Verse 27, the strong man's house. Jesus says, how can someone enter a strong man's house without first binding the strong man? And then everything is plundered. And Jesus says, quite obviously, Satan is not bound. He's alive and well. There are demon-possessed people everywhere. And so Jesus says, 
quite obviously your argument is wrong that I'm full of Beelzebub because Satan is alive and well and working and his kingdom is not divided. Now, I want to tell you, the church may be divided today, but the kingdom of Satan is not divided. Boy, those demons are in line behind Satan, behind Lucifer and the prince of this world. Alright, let's look at 28 through 30. Here's what you've been waiting for, okay? 28 through 30. Look at the alarm. These religious men do not see the terrible spiritual danger they're in. They do not understand that they've crossed a line and committed the unpardonable sin. Well, let's look at the good news first, okay? And here's the good news. Verse number 28. Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men. And whatever blasphemies they utter. You can put a mark there by 28. Man, that's good news. All sin can be forgiven. Man, I'm glad. Man, my, my sin was nailed to the cross. I, I love the hymn, It is well with my soul because it says, My sin not in part, but the whole was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, praise the Lord. When you and I see our sin nailed to the cross, we're reminded all sins can be forgiven. If you got your Bible real quick, look over to Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. Little boy said, find the book of collisions, alright? <laughs> Colossians chapter 2. If you're like me in your mind, you've got to go Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, alright? Chapter 2, verse 13. Colossians 2, look at 13 and 14. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Man, listen to verse 14. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Woo! Boy, isn't that good? Man, listen. He took it out of the way. He nailed it to the cross. Oh, man, I can see it. Man, all my sin just nailed to the cross. That's good news. Well, here's the bad news. Alright, the bad news is verse 29. Verse 29. Jesus goes from that wonderful statement in 28 to a horrifying statement. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. What is it? What is the eternal sin? Well, here it is. It's saying that the work of God in Christ, the work of God through Christ, is the work of Satan or Lucifer. It is denying the truth that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. 
It is the sin of attributing to Satan the work of God. That sin can never, 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 never be forgiven. It is an eternal sin. It's a sin that a person will be haunted with in hell for every day of eternity. Man, I can't, I can't paint it hard enough. Now, a saved person cannot commit that sin. Why not? Well, the reason why is because when you got saved, you attributed the work of Christ with God. And you gave your heart and life to Jesus. You confessed that He died on the cross for your sin. You asked Him to come into your heart to rule and to reign. And so a saved person cannot commit that sin. But a lost person commits that sin when they deny what God has done through Christ at the cross. I mean, let me get you to do this. Take your Bible. I know we're looking at a lot of Scripture, but it's good for you, alright? Uh, look at 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. It's in there. Someone's saying, why is he picking on all these hard books to find? Alright? 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And, and look at verse number 9. Well, let me back you up a little bit, alright? Look at verses 8 and 9. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 8. Dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the Gospel of the Lord Jesus. Verse 9. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Do you find the phrase there, eternal destruction? That goes right hand in hand with what Jesus said, eternal sin. Think about this with me. The worst possible way that someone can die. Just think about that in your mind. Think about the worst possible death that you can imagine. <coughs> Cancer, heart attack, burned alive in a car wreck, buried alive. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says if someone commits the unpardonable sin, they die that death every single day for all eternity. Over and over and over and over again. That's what it means when it talks about eternal destruction and an eternal sin. You and I have a wonderful thing called the Gospel to share. 
And the reason why we need to share it is because there's always the potential for somebody to commit that unpardonable sin. And to get to a point where their heart becomes so hard, their heart becomes so callous, their life becomes so deeply entrenched in sin that they are dull to the preaching and the moving of the Spirit of God. And that's when the unpardonable sin is committed. Are we attacked today? Yes, we are. Just like Satan attacked Jesus. Do our friends and family attack us? Sometimes they do. Foes? Most certainly. But I like what old Martin Luther said during the Reformation. We have a mighty fortress who is our God. A bulwark never failing. Let me pray with you. Father, thank You for Your Word today. Man, this has been a hard lesson. Hard words. But Father, I just pray that the Spirit of God would anoint and empower the teaching of the Word today. Now, Father, help us to pray for those who are lost. God, help us to be active in sharing the Gospel. And Lord, lest anyone commit the unpardonable sin and spend eternity in the place called hell. I thank You that Jesus made a way. and Jesus paid the price. All to Him I owe. Father, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all have a great day.